Welcome back to the Masters of Honor. I'm your host, Alex Kessler, uh, here with my co-host, Michael Grothy. Welcome back. Hello. I'm back. I am I am dressed as uh, one of the many teammates uh, from the show Haiku, uh, which is a volleyball anime that is very good and I recommend to people because I dropped my volleyball. How are you, Michael? <laughs> I'm good. Uh, so today, good to be back. I, for those watching on the YouTubes, been seeing me play some Commander, but I haven't actually been on the podcast in a minute. So it's been like four months, I think. It's kind of a long time. It is a long time. I mean, time. how many episodes have come out in that time? 16? 16, yeah. It's a lot Less of, of, a lot of like content. Traveling. It's been missing me, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, welcome back. We're excited to have you. Yeah. We're, today we're talking about uh, budget command like budget modern like uh, uh looking at the format so we're kind of in the middle of this series of um how like how to get into modern episodes four weeks ago we had zach yeah. allen on we did an episode on like what the metagame looks like right now the following week we did like w- like kind of more of a mtg finance version of like how to get into modern on like what cards seem undervalued for like what's going on in modern in general uh, last week we had uh, Prof on from Tolarian Community College, and he and me talked about just like how to get started in modern. Like, do you start with budget decks? Do you start with proxying a deck out first? How does that look? How does that work? Um, and then today, so I guess, um, what was what was the verdict? How do you get started? I have my own opinion that I might mention. So uh, I want to. I'm interested to know can, what you can, and Prof we can go to that. Uh, well, sorry, I don't the, listen to the cast. I'm sorry, everyone. Wow, what, I talk uh, to Alex about magic all the time. I promise. This is terrible. Well, yeah, I, I, I have that problem. When I have friends <laughs> who have content, I'm like, I can just call you and talk to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But Alex, like every day, and magic probably comes up every day. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, not looking to listen to the podcast. Sorry, I mean, everyone. Our, our our base level was like proxy your decks out. Don't don't yep. invest in a deck until you try playing them. Print out yep. decks that are that are in the metagame. Then look at yep. budget friendly decks that can be upgraded to become m- better decks o- over time as you start investing in more versatile staples like fetch lands, uh, chocolate, you know, mana bases. That okay, that's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, I was yeah. just making sure that there wasn't something I was missing. We had a hot tech. It was by the Pioneer. Uh, actually, we, what I said was by the modern uh event deck or what or modern challenger decks and then prof informed me that uh those don't exist we brought them up in an episode where we, that we made we made them theorizing on what that could be but uh they were never made and the pioneer challenger decks came out last week uh to like low fanfare <laughs> so yeah I, I mean it sucks because it's like people aren't even playing pioneer online and expecting somebody to play it in paper is a pretty tall order at this point until organized play comes back and wizards gives you a reason to do it. Mm -hmm. Also like being a pioneer player in the wake of modern horizons Two coming out is rough because modern is like crazy popular right now, given like, you know, the state of paper play because like there's so much cool stuff you can do. Like there's a ton of different decks in the metagame. There's a lot of fun stuff. It's a great time to get into modern from like a fun perspective. Uh, great time to watch modern and so that's what people are doing they're playing watching getting into modern and pioneer is pioneer (laughs) right 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 i think i think i think that was a little bit of the conversation we had with prof too right was 
modern horizons has in some ways raised the cost of getting into modern pretty significantly and and pioneer does offer that opportunity of being a format that you can play without it being so expensive or like it's standard rotated cards right like you can you can play pioneer by being a long-term standard player that your collection is rotated into the format that's arguably no longer a viable option in modern now we i had a disagreement on that you know i i think that the power level and the modification of the modern format from four years ago to now is partially responsible by the horizon sets, but also partially responsible to everything between Eldraine and Ikoria coming out from companions to everything in Eldraine to their yeah, like, death to, I mean, if you think war, the spark about like a lot of the, a lot of the expensive cards in modern, like Zendikar fetches, like those are standard cards that rotated. How many people currently playing modern were playing standard and Zendikar who just saved their fetches? You know, it's like people are getting those from supplemental sets, same as what you're getting from Modern Horizons. Sure. So like we're just so far removed from like the time that modern started. And, you know, the the fun fact is like that modern now is older than legacy was when modern started. Right. Yeah. Like there's more years of standard sets so yeah. it's just like you can't be expected to have played standard for 20 years and built up that collection you know sure sure or, I, I think I guess, 10 15 20 i don't know 20 years i want to say yeah no, no i i agree with you i think well that was the argument for pioneer right was like there needs to be a middle yeah. ground format and i think at the time well or during that episode we can go back and listen to this because we don't have to rehash it all but uh you know i brought up that the point of pioneer originally was partially like oh, we're going to come out with these sets that print cards directly in the modern because we would like modern to be able to be because legacy doesn't exist anymore, right? It does exist. I know people are play it and legacy is very fun when you can have a collection that can handle Wizards it. Wizards doesn't have the ability it. to support it. Correct. So modern is that. There's nothing they can do. And, and a thing that they were doing with legacy for a while that was kind of making legacy exciting was that any card printed goes into legacy. So commander product goes into legacy, conspiracy, battle bond, um, all of those are were legacy legal cards, and Wizards, I think, wants Modern to be that. It, I think, like the intent with Modern Horizons and now the Lord of the Rings set is to maybe start looking at these supplemental draft sets when appropriate to release them just directly in the Modern, the way they used to be released in the Legacy, and then have Pioneer be this pure standard only format that's in the middle because it's the one that's in the middle. Pioneer then had an unsuccessful launch. But I would yeah. I would be very surprised. I don't know if Wizards is going to relaunch Pioneer or like remake Pioneer happen or try and focus on it again. But I can see them trying a similar format out from a, whatever starting point they pick going into the future. Yeah, I mean, in, in 10 years, we'll get a new Pioneer because Pioneer will be similarly inaccessible, inaccessible to Correct. modern and not not due to the introduction of supplementals. But it's just like, oh, man, I need tireless trackers for my pioneer deck but oh they were in shadows of renistrad i wasn't playing back then like right, or whatever right, right. so um but i think that they'll probably pick up pioneer where they left off i mean especially with the, the decks just coming out i think we are on the cusp of probably organized play getting announced in the next six months i agree with that hopefully so you know there are challenger decks that will be available and i think anything that made pioneer a good idea in the beginning is still true. It just like, it had the weird, like 
it had a lot Purgatory of bad things. period where a lot of people were waiting to get into it until the ban list sorted itself out, which was fun for spectators. It got me hyped about the format to watch, honestly, to see like all the cool stuff that was happening. But I didn't want to buy it. I think a lot of people were in that boat. But then there was a pandemic. So <laughs> right. Right. Um, it was just like super bad timing. But I think everything that made it a good idea in the beginning is still true. Like it can still be the format where you play your rotated standard cards from a time period where cards are still relatively accessible. Yeah. But that won't be true forever. Yeah, so. I think, yeah, I think like Pioneer fell on like four different swords, right? It was announced basically the same moment that Arena realized that they needed a internal, internal format. So Historic was announced. And so that was like a competing like, oh, which set of cards is going to be more interesting? And then, and then Wizards at the time was definitely more incentivized to make Historic more of a thing because arena was the big new thing that was really exciting that they were pushing well and you couldn't play paper magic you, well i haven't gone there yet <laughs> no. uh then pioneer had like they came up with the idea of like doing what people recommend with modern which is like oh we want to do a no set no ban list um version of modern let's see what let's unban everything and then let the chips fall and then start rebanning stuff and they're like okay we'll take that idea but do it for pioneer and it a i don't think is the correct thing to do but B, at the same time, it was happening in the midst of the worst banning season of all time for Wizards. Like more cards were banned between War of the Spark and now <laughs> than any other period in Magic. And in the middle of that, they catered a format that was just like, oh, and we're also going to ban new cards every week on top of that buzz. And I think that yeah. was like not the best idea. Like, like in hindsight, 2020 it, it was, was, like, was hard because yeah, it was unforeseeable with. that they were going to have to ban so many cards in standard, right? Like that they didn't design those sets with the expectation that stuff was going to get banned. So like it was when they announced pioneer, it probably seemed like a great idea to ban a bunch of stuff right. from pioneer. Like, I mean, I thought it was a good idea. And I, I, like I said, I had fun watching it. It got me excited about watching the format to like, know every week that like, is this deck broken? Like, can people beat this deck mm -hmm. and like watching it, watching the metagame play out and having the answer sometimes we know, because I feel like most of the time we get like one card like that every once in a while, like a Hogak or something. And it becomes exciting to watch for two weeks and then it sucks for months until they ban it. <laughs> no, yeah, um, I, think, I, I agree there where it's like it was cool to watch. They also then stopped the process too early, I think. Like they like let let Thassa's Oracle and Inverter, Inverter. just exist for Well, and that year. was because that was that was really picking up in like February, March when organized play was suspended indefinitely. Sure. And so right, right, right. they were like not really thinking about Pioneer. I mean, people were playing it on Magic Online and having a crappy time, but I think that was happening in small enough numbers that it just didn't seem like a priority. But um, I, yeah. I think that was like that then added with the the fact that COVID happened, organized play went away. This format really existed purely for an organized play perspective because it didn't have the following yet to be something like modern, which was able to persevere barely right like even modern had its trouble to the point that we started talking about a lot of non-modern content for for half yeah we were talking about history because that's all you could play unless you had a big magic online collection which none of us did or do right right or want to play magic online <laughs> yeah. uh but yeah so so it was kind of like this interesting thing that happened the pioneer and 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 is is one of the reasons it should exist but back to the, kind of the subject at hand uh, we are going to be talking about budget lists we went what oh, oh sorry oh, sorry i that's my fault that we, we derailed the 
last no, no, episode no. for 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Uh, it was only 10 minutes. <laughs> so uh, this is the MM cast. This is the Master of Modern podcast. Uh, we do modern content every week. If you are new here and this is your first time listening or you want to hear more information about modern, hit that subscribe button. It's really helpful. And we're going to play a little bit of a game. Uh, we have been doing this every week. It's the help with the engagement gods. Uh, it's a game of trivia. And the way it works is I'm going to ask Michael and all of you a trivia question. And then Michael is going to him and Ha trying to figure out what the answer is. And in that time, you have to uh, put your guess to what the answer is in the comments below. Um, and then if you get it right, once Michael answers, I'll tell him he's right. Tell him he's wrong. If he gets it, if you all get it right collectively, or if you get it right and Michael gets it wrong, uh, you win. You got it. If uh, you got it wrong, though, you're going to have to hit that like button. Now, if you got it right and you want to hit the like button, appreciate it as well. But uh, if you get it wrong, you have to hit the like button. That's the rules. You're making the bet, not me. Sorry. You just have to deal with it. So, Michael, how many years was Bloodbraid Elf banned for? So, I guess if I, like, think about, I think it was legal. It, it like, got banned because Deathrite was too good, right? So, it must have gotten banned before Deathrite. After Deathrite. Oh, 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 before Deathrite Shaman was banned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before after, Deathrite after Shaman got printed. banned. Yeah, yeah. Because it was one of those cards where it's like, no, don't hit this one. Hit Deathrite. Like, Bridge from Blow or whatever. Right, right, right. So... Um, when did Deathrite get banned? Do I even know that? I'm gonna say Bloodbraid was in jail for five years. Wow, that's that is correct. You got it right. It was unbanned in 2018. Nice. It was banned in 2013. Yeah, I was thinking like 2013 or 2014. It was. And it was. Then- I, I couldn't remember like how far out we were. So I just kind of knew that it was in like the four to seven range. It was like, yeah, five. <laughs> yeah, it was right after RTR. Uh, it was, uh, bef- I think, I think it was actually, it was the ban announcement attached to gate crash is when it got okay. banned. Oh, wow. So death rate became a problem real quick then. Yes. Huh? Yeah. Well, t- I mean, six months or four months, right? Cause that was back when like the second yeah, yeah. set was released in February. So it was like September october still though yeah yeah still very quickly yeah i mean like card has to be a pretty big problem for it to cause a banning in four months of course it's never the actual card right well i think i think it's I think, gotta be something from, that's older that's yeah. not selling packs the, the argument i think at the time was that Bloodbraid elf also was one of the problem cards into the, in the zoo decks that were good that fall that got wild nacatl banned and so they're like oh maybe it was Bloodbraid elf and wild nacatl and it you know it was is definitely I mean, it's also like we're selling our tier packs and we would like to continue selling our right. tier packs. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it, uh, I'm banned in 2018, though, and it's been with us ever since. So if you got that correct, hit that like button. Or sorry, if you got that correct, you're great. You don't have to do anything. But, you know, hit the like and subscribe button. If you got it wrong, though, you got to hit that like button. Thank you so much. Super appreciated. And uh, last but not least, uh, this this show, uh, TCG Player, uh, we have an affiliate code. If, you can cl- if you're going to buy cards, make sure to click that link below before buying stuff. Uh, then put stuff in your card and purchase. We don't we don't get anything unless you do buy it from them. But if you get something, we get a little bit of kickback. It doesn't cost you anything. And it's super, super appreciated. So thank you so much, uh, all TCG Player shoppers. If you use our affiliate link, we uh, are hyped about it. Um, all right. Now, we're going to get into the episode. So first thing we wanted to talk about is because because Michael, you had, you kind of had a point at the beginning. I'll let you make it uh, in a second about just like generally when people get asked for advice, and like what a budget list is. The answer is 
something that isn't that good. And yeah, so- I mean, I, I, I want to like, th- this is kind of what I was asking about, like you're in the profs conversation about how, like, what's the best way to you're in, you're curious about modern. What's the best way to like start building a deck. And the answer is like a lot of the time people are like, Oh, what's a good modern deck for like a player with no modern collection. And it's like, Oh, well you should just start with something cheap and easy like burn or you should, you know, storm is really cheap and it's good even without fetch lands. Um, or like, Oh, just build eight whack for a hundred bucks and, you know, go from there. But I feel like that gives people a negative impression of modern because like a lot of these cheap decks are like super linear and they might not be your play style. Now, of course, there are people who love to play Burn, love to play 8-Wack, love to play Storm. But I don't think that you can just blanket give these same few suggestions to everyone entering the format because like modern has a lot to offer. You can play, you know, aggro mid-range control combo of any number of different flavors. And so I think it's best to, like you and the prof were saying, um, it's best to figure out what kind of deck you are interested in and proxy it up and see if you think it's fun. And then if you think it's fun, you want to try and get stepping stones. So what I did is uh, my entry into modern was from the world championship in like 2012 or something um, was Shodi Yasuoka playing eternal command at the world championship. I thought that deck was amazing, super expensive. It had Tarmogoyfs at the time when Tarmogoyf was the most expensive card in modern, tons of fetch lands uh, to fuel your Tarmogoyf, and Aether Vials, which are expensive, and Cryptic Commands, which were expensive, Snapcasters. It, it was just like, you know, rivaling Jund in terms of price at the time. And so I, um, I built Scapeshift because I'm going to use the Snapcasters and Cryptics. I'm going to use the fetches. I can wait on the Vials and Tarmogoyfs and some of the other expensive stuff. Um, and then, so that's what I did. I built Scapeshift. It wasn't exactly a budget deck at the time, but it was like, I built it over the course of six months or whatever. And then well, I think, I think at the time you probably had Snapcaster major, like you were playing during that period of time. So yeah, at the and time I, you got I, them during I rotation. I bought Snapcasters for like 25 bucks each. So right. it's, it was like, and I bought fetches for probably, you know, 30 or whatever, right? Like it, everything was a lot cheaper. Um, uh, fetch lands are now cheaper than that, so you can get them at that level. But that that was kind of part of also what we well, talked about buying at the, time, at the right times. The cons fetches weren't legal. I was buying scalding turns and yes, yes. for like thirty. So. Well, that's why we say you know proxy decks out. Now, I we, kind of one of the things I wanted to talk about first as we kind of get past that is is there are the first thing I want to start with because I want to we, we're going to talk about those right. We're going to talk about the eight wax. We're going to talk about like under a hundred dollar, under two hundred fifty dollar decks that we that like are buyable are viable, have done well. We want to talk first about like decks that have performed in tournaments that are under $500 and then maybe talk a little bit on like what could be done to make them less expensive even. So um, to get started, the first deck we're going to be talking about is, um, well, do you want to talk about Burn first? <laughs> sure, yeah, we can start with Burn. All right, cool. um, Burn is, is pretty much always a good modern deck um, and it is... A two-color deck, I think one thing that is that is a big thread with these budget decks is that they're often one or two colors because it means that, like, you're, you can fudge your mana base a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, like, Burn is, like, a $500 deck with fetch lands. Uh, but if you remove the fetch lands and replace them with, um, you know, either you play mono red and lose some of the white cards, or if you remove the fetch lands and play, like... Just the um, the fast red white land, the flip red white land, yeah, I mean, and they're generally already playing lands. inspiring vintage. 
but yeah, you can play the flip land, you can play the pain land, battlefield forge. You can just play like fewer fetches and more mountains because you're like pretty close to mono red anyway. You can probably skimp on white sources a little bit. Suddenly, like the deck becomes, you know, like 300 bucks or less. Right, right. The, 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 the actual cards that are expensive in the deck, like Lava Spike for a playset is $12 and Eidolon of Great Revel is $60 for a playset. Goblin Guide is $26 and everything else is significantly less expensive until you get to the mana base or the, the mana base. And the mana base is. Like, this is a mostly mono-red deck with Boros Charm and Lightning Helix. And there are A cards you can play instead of those two cards. And that's kind of what the Blitz decks do, right? Like, they are yeah, playing I, that I mean, world. I think the biggest draw to white, though, uh, in in most decks, actually, but especially in Burn, is also sideboard cards. I right. do think that if you go to mono-red, cutting Boros Charm and Lightning Helix is not the end of the world. But I think losing out on white sideboard cards is a big deal. Which, of course, if your budget is like 100 bucks. Building mono red burn is fine, and you can work up to red white. But I would only recommend that if burn is a deck that interests you, or prowess, or you know, red aggressive decks playing burn spells. Right, right. I mean, and and if you look at like budget from a perspective of five hundred dollars, which is not a budget, right? That's a real deck you're building. But these are decks that have performed there that also are in a world where their mana bases are more expensive than they probably need to be, and still can be efficient enough to do well. At a tournament, and that's blue red affinity, two hundred fifty dollars. Burn is five hundred, but as we said, without the lands, it gets down to two hundred dollars. Storm, three hundred fifty dollars. Tron, five hundred, uh, and that's mostly in the chalices. Uh, Dredge, five hundred. Once again, mostly in the mana base. Uh, Belcher, three forty, um, and then so those are those are ones that have like have recently placed in a top five on a moto event or an SEG event, and those are all. Two color decks or less that can be made pretty efficiently while not spending that amount of money for like Tron, for instance, does have expensive big threats, but you can build up to those and play a more diverse spectrum of those while also keeping your budget down. Yeah, you can play like more War of the Spark Ugin and less Karn. Right. Or the yeah, and there's there's uh even versions that are more um Eldrazi Tron base now losing Chalice is kind of the big bite there and that's that's the thing is like looking at specific cards that end up being really expensive and why are they expensive a bunch of these decks are leaning on Chalice to cover that base and getting into that and figuring out why you need that card is important Eldrazi Tron which is the aggro version of this though is like very inexpensive other than that specific card yeah to, to discuss budget decks like a lot of this was kind of us going into existing decks and figuring out like what is essential to this deck's function and what is cuttable and i think like chalice and eldrazi tron stands out as the most expensive card you could just cut it but i feel like it's kind of essential to the deck's function in the same way that i think like eidolon of the great revel is a big reason to play burn i think if you want to cut eidolon of the great revel from burn you should probably just play prowess um and it'll maybe be a little more expensive because you need Mitra's Bobbles and Metamorphoses. But I think like it will be cheaper than Eidolons. And uh, I, yeah, I mean, I just think that's a big reason to be playing the Burn deck specifically. And I don't think you can cut it. But I do think you can shave the mana base. You can maybe pick some cheaper sideboard options or whatever, right? So, well, and like if you go into Storm, which you mentioned, like there are Storm budget lists that you just don't play Steam Vents, you don't play Spire Bluff Canal. And now the deck is just loads of less expensive it's already only 350 dollars. Yeah. Well, so in this this list that yeah this list that top uh that um won a five out of league 
uh, is already not playing fetches, which like a lot of storm yeah. lists you see that are a little more, more expensive are playing fetches, okay. I think. And so you just like Spire Bluff Canal is 20 bucks a pop. That's $80 off. Steam Vents is... Well, actually, Storm is rarely playing fetches, just looking at all these lists that have... Yeah, yeah Storm doesn't really play fetches. Oh, all right. Uh, but it does play Spire Bluff Canals and Steam Vents, and you can cut those, especially because you're not playing fetches, just putting more basics. Your hands are going to be less consistent, but it's not going to be that far away. And there's even new tools printed all the time of different lands and mana bases that can help make that work. So I, I think like this is a great example where building the deck having the mana base slowly being built over time and trading into those or opening up cards in draft, giving the cards that are valuable in draft to players that want them for standard, getting those cards to become um, the mana bases that you need or like on a weekly, you know, set a budget to building those mana bases up. And that is the biggest limiter in modern is mana bases. Once you get past that, or if you're creative with it, you can do a lot more with it. Uh, for instance, I was building... Before this show, you know, Azorius Control is one of the best decks in the format. Now, this is Kahira Control with Solitudes, Teferi Time Rowler, and Teferi Hero Dominaria. But once you get past a lot of those cards, and even those who are only $20 a pop, you can get a blue-white control list down to... I got it down to $200. And it's like Celestial Colonnade is only a $4 card now. You can you have the new Deserted Beach, which is great for decks that are looking to be more late-game focused. You have the blue-white Pathway uh wrath of god versus supreme verdicts right like the the difference between not being able to be countered as a wrath versus killing regenerative creatures is not that high um and then you move instead of playing archmage charms you play stuff like spell queller and and along with like the dovin's veto you still have counter spell you still get access to path to exile um and you can play stuff that's cute like wall of omens right there's the old blink decks from back in the day that was taking advantage of restoration angel that you can kind of rebuild here Losing those planeswalkers, losing the expensive cards like Solitude, but Path to Exile and Solitude are not that far off from each other, especially in blue-white control decks. Solitude is probably better, but not by a lot. Not enough to make it so that, like, if you, for a budget reason, want to just play with this option, you're going to be that far off. Yeah, I mean, Solitude is, like, you know, the the one of the two best removal options in the deck, the other one being Prismatic Ending, but, like, it, you, it's not essential to the deck's function. Like blue white control was still very good before Solitude got printed and uh, will continue to be very good right after, you know, if you are playing a budget version with no Solitudes. So, yeah, it's just about seeing what is essential to the deck's function. It's interesting, like blue white control has a lot of expensive cards, but like most of them are fairly replaceable. Like Archmage's Charm is one of the best counter spells in the format, but it's not like there aren't other good counter spells, like you said, Spell Queller or even like mana leak or dissolve or something like dissolve dovin's veto um you have um main deck negate is fine right or spell snare or something even 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 the what's the mystic dispute right that's the three mana that main deck but i think i think there's just like a lot of options out there that you can spread uh uh, logic is the classic um and so like there's definitely things you can do to modify these decks to become cheaper, especially the two color like filled with good stuff. I mean, you like re- even blue, red prowess, which right now, like people are like, oh, you need to play Ragavans. But if you really look at the lists, a lot of the cards aren't that expensive and you're able yeah, to start playing something deck, a little bit more. MH2 was one of the best decks in the format. Even if you don't play the Ragavans, you're still you. You got Dragon Rage's Channeler. You got Unholy Heat. You've got Expressive Iteration from Strixhaven. Um, like this deck still has benefited a lot in recent sets 
and you know I think it's like a great choice that if you don't play the Ragavans and you make your mana base a little bit cheaper by shaving fetches. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. I think, I think like the fact that there are cards that are not Ragavan, right? Not that power level, but good enough to have been winning before doesn't mean they're outclassed and you shouldn't play them anymore. It just means that this is a great stepping stone to get to the point where you're able to like save up to a Ragavan or trade up to them or open them in future packs when he's reprinted. Like, there's no reason not to be playing modern because you don't have that card, especially because most players aren't in this to, like, 100% try and win the Pro Tour, which doesn't even exist anymore, especially because it doesn't even exist anymore. What are you going to win? Like, you're playing for fun. You're playing to win FNM. You're playing to win prizes. You're playing to day two an event. That all is possible with any level of these budget decks. The fact that I've gone to Grand Prix and seen people day two back in the day where they're playing you know, eight blood artists or merfolk or like decks that like people would walking into the tournament be like, you're crazy. That deck's not good. And they're like, I'm good at this deck. I'm very well practiced at it. I know all my matchups inside and out. And like, it's good enough. Like I'm able to beat most of these opponents. How like, you know, storm or uh, not storm, uh, like merfolk wins GP, even when like there's five people playing at the tournament or scred wins GP or, um, turns wins gp or whatever like somebody really knows their pet deck and you know it may or may not be budget but it, yeah it's it's similar concept of like oh well your deck is an optimal because you don't have scalding turns or whatever but like sometimes you don't need to be optimal you just need to know what you're doing <laughs> right right i mean even stuff like like dredge which like outside of the uh, outside of otherworldly gaze, which was printed th- th- a month ago, <laughs> the deck is only casting red and black cards. Everything else in the deck is not meant to be cast as another color. It does have prismatic ending out of the sideboard, but once again, prismatic ending could become terminate tomorrow, and you're going to answer a lot of the things you need to deal with, um, or other different removal spells. But the deck is mostly just a black red deck. That mana base can be a black red mana base. You do not need to have the mana confluence five color version of it. That's trying to cast prismatic ending yeah. out of the sideboard and prize amalgams and narcomibas to right. make sure you can fetch steam vents. So you can sometimes hard cast your prized amalgam, right? Like there, these are, these are like corner cases that you can get away with. If you just like lean into it and like switch out otherworldly gaze for a different card. And you're kind of off to the races on a deck. That's really efficient and really, really inexpensive. Once you remove that mana base, yeah, what was Dredge playing before? Probably some other version of like a discard and then draw. I think well, it, uh, Insolent Neonate, I think. Yeah, Insolent Neonite was what. And it was either Insolent yeah, Neonite or, or Bargain from the Adventure card is another option. Oh, Haggle. Haggle, sorry. Haggle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, on, same word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bargain Haggle. Yeah, so, so what's interesting about the, like, so like Burn, Dredge, Tron that we've mentioned and Affinity that we briefly touched on. Those are all decks that like for the most part are pretty insular and I would only build them. They are cheap options, cheap entry points in the format. If any of them appeal to you, perhaps that's the way to go. But they also like don't have a ton of pieces that are shared with other decks. One thing that's nice about Storm and Prowess is like you can be picking up blue red lands that are useful because there's a lot of good blue red decks in the format. If you want to be building, you know, um, some sort of like Merc, like the Merc Tide decks, or if you want to build, 
Jeskai control or, you know, whatever, like having some of these blue red lands would be really helpful that you're accumulating. Also in the prowess decks, um, like getting Mishra's bubbles is helpful because they're such a staple. I guess the affinity deck, I don't know if the affinity list that, that you have here is playing Urza Saga, but I do think affinity is a really cheap Urza Saga deck. So if you have any desire to play any Urza Saga deck, for example, like um, Hammer Time or Jun Saga or something, like starting with Affinity, you're putting most of your money into Urza Sagas, and you have like you're getting that Urza Saga package of like Shadow Spear and maybe Mishra's Bobbles, depending on the list, and Mem Knights and stuff that are like a little bit pricier, but you're able to use those in your Hammer Time deck or whatever, right? And so you're like you just have a cheap spell of cheap shell of like one and two dollar cards that you're playing with your like Springleaf Drum Urza Saga, you know, whatever deck. Um, and that helps you like slowly accumulate stone forges while you have something you can play with. Yeah. And I think that's like the value. Um, no, I mean, I mean, this, some of these over others, um, like dredge, if you like dredge, go for it, but don't pick up dredge. If that's not, your like, you know, right. This not a deck that you really enjoy because like the rest of it is useless. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're, you're looking to find that's that I, I agree with that, right? If you don't like dredge, most of the staples in that deck aren't as translatable as other decks. But to your point, Affinity just Urza Saga. This is a $250 deck, and Urza Saga is $100 of that. And yeah. the rest of it is like, and you probably could get away with this deck of building an Urza Saga list over time because just like it's playing Gigantha as a, as a, as a companion, but like Memnite, Ornithopter, Ginger Brute, Signal Pest, Frogmite, Mirror Enforcer, Sojourner's Companion, Thought Monitor, Galvanic Blast, Welding Jar, Shadow Spear, Springleaf Drum, and Cranial Plating. That's the deck. Like, well, again, yep. like all it's, of those it's cards. Primarily like $2 cards. The most expensive like cards Knight, is Mem Knight. is one of the more expensive cards in this deck. Yeah. And this is a deck that, uh, what did this do? If I it's got eighth, eighth in a challenge. Top, top eight at a challenge. Yes. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Challenge being like a bigger tournament than a league, right? So this is like yeah, five zero to few leagues, like, a, like top eighting a PTQ, basically. Uh, yeah, exactly. And like that's that's not and and the other thing, and we talked about this with Prof as well, is there are shells of cards that have always been good. Like, if you were a Splinter Twin player and you had that deck, the more expensive parts of the deck that you owned have not gotten bad. Your fetch lands, even Snapcaster Mage, which is at its worst now than it maybe has ever been. Like, but all of these cards have continued to be good past that. You became a blue moon control deck that eventually became a Phoenix deck that then became a blue red prowess deck that now became back to Delver. And you maybe were a treasure cruise Delver <laughs> in the middle of all that for a, for a three month period. But the, that shell continued to translate the new decks in affinity. Yes, Mox Opal got banned, but now this version of the deck is out there with thought monitors which is not called Thought Copter. And I learned that between this week and last week. <laughs> um, but you have a deck that like, for the most part, isn't that expensive, but the basic shell of Artifact Aggro is still there. You have Dredge, which has had four to six cards banned out from it over the last six years. And it's still putting up five O's in leagues and still doing well. It can still win a tournament. Storm is another example where like, I have built Storm three times and a card has been banned out of three times and I've stopped paying attention to it. And then it just is still good because it will like a wizards can't help themselves and keeps printing stuff that's good with Storm cards, including Storm cards with the word Storm on it. But uh, now make squirrels, <laughs> but they'll there's just like going to be consistent 
good spells that are printed that are good to play with each other and this deck will take advantage of them and is pretty inexpensive to buy into and if you like it even if they ban cards there's going to be a way to figure out a way to make it work in the metagame that's true of tron that's true of burn and i mean from the perspective of someone who's a control player i've had blue white control since modern was created and just like path to exile celestial colonnade and stoneforge mystic have hung out in a deck box of mine basically since the beginning of this format and that's been consistently true. I have to pick up staples as they come out in standard, as new ones are printed. But also, like most of these lists, if you look, go through right now and click on all of the different Azorius control lists that are available, they are vastly different from each other. There are some stuff that are staples, but even those, like if you look at two Azorius control lists and maybe they're both playing multiple Teferis, but one is playing this suite of removal spells and card draw engines, and this one's playing this suite of removal spells and card draw and engines. Just play both of those and get rid of the Teferis for now as you try and build up to that collection. That's what I was saying that's interesting about blue-white control is like no one card is like super essential to the deck's function. You just need like some form of card advantage, a bunch of interaction, and the way to win the game. And like those are all very flexible concepts. And and Wizards is reprinting stuff, right? Like Teferi Time Raveler is right now a $20 card, but then the secret layer with him as an old border card is going to get delivered to everyone that ordered it in two months. And then it's going to drop down to being a $15 card or those versions of it will be less. They're going to put it in their white control deck and sell their Teferi's card kingdom or whatever. And then... (laughs) Right, right, exactly. So like the the supply of these cards are going. Fetch uh, Shocklands, which are right now about $10, A literally a year and a half ago were standard cards that you could buy for less than that B are going to be full art in the unglued set that's coming out later this year. And so there will be an amount of either opening those packs and getting those from that set, or as those go into the market, those lands will become slightly less expensive, especially as players that have like nice versions of those cards want the new most premium version of it being the full art unglued shock lands. So there's like over time, you'll be able to buy cards in to these decks. And the important thing is to know, like these decks are playable without those. You don't have to look at what the top eight, you know, top 10 cards in the metagame are and be like, oh, if I don't have 12 elementals, free elementals, I can't play the format. Or, oh, if I don't have Raghavan and Merc Tide Regents, I'm out. It's like, no, no, no. Blue, red power prowess decks are playable without those cards. They get better with those cards, but you can overcompensate with removal you can overcompensate with wall of omens and blue white control and yeah, there's there's actually like a um a really good for for blue red merc tide in particular there's a, there's a really good um guide for a budget version of specifically like the merc tide style like delver deck that's playing delvers um over on channel fireball there's an article about a, a budget like Delver deck that's playing like Delver over Raghavan and like Sprite Dragon over Murktide, but then like most of the rest of the deck is the same and you're a little more reactive. So like if Prowess isn't your thing, if you prefer, or uh, yeah, if Prowess isn't your thing, if you prefer to like have a little, have some more controlling elements, um, there's a really good guide for that deck. It's like a Delver, blue red Delver basically um, with and- like Counterspell and Lightning Bolt and Spell Pierce, Unholy Heat, like a little more interactive than prowess right and uh, but you know you still get to accumulate those like staples the dragon rage's channelers the expressive iterations the mishra's baubles um you know so. and and that 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 list is in the in the comments below so a lot of lists we're talking about are all in the description of this episode including that article um and so we're making sure to link to that stuff so you guys can see it and and yeah i, I think like there's a way i would look if you if you 
A, the first step always is print stuff out. Try it out, do a proxy list, play against a friend, maybe print out two of them, see which one you like. Then once you find a deck archetype or style that you like, look at what you can do to make it affordable to get started. You know, which, which budget lands can I be playing with? What cards that are extremely expensive are there variants that exist that aren't as good? And, yeah, and, and, and to be playing the deck first helps you figure out like what's absolutely essential to your deck um, that like you can't find a budget replacement for. Like like a lot of these, a lot of the decks we were going through and trying to figure out what what could we like remove the lands and figure out. And I'm like, oh, this deck is like an Urza deck, so that's can't really replace that probably. Right, and, you right, know, right, right, <laughs> and like. Even stuff like Hammer Time was five owing and winning tournaments before Urza Saga was printed, right? Like these, these are decks that existed before Modern Horizons. And the other thing that we've always talked about is look at what's on the horizon uh, of coming out in sets in the future and seeing, Oh, which decks might be interesting to pick up now that could have new cards that make them more powerful. Um, good examples are like the food decks. I think that like those were really powerful at the beginning of the format. They've fallen way down in power level. And now all of the staples of those decks that were at one point of this format, top tier are now very affordable getting Asmores and uh, all of the cookbooks and cat and oven and all of those pieces right now is really inexpensive. Now you just need a mana base that can kind of put that together. You can play with the value mana base and start with just like with black red. And that deck will have moments in the sun where it's really good. Or you can just pick up the right cards that fit for it and you can get really far ahead of it. You can look at maybe there's another set with food as a major theme right in three years. And it, you know, that just turns out that that's all you needed. You know, you needed that one card that was just like an efficient food generator or whatever. Or even, even uh, not Academy Reactor. What's the three mana makes a token for every token, makes two tokens of the other types for every treasure you make or whatever? Academy Manufacturer. Academy Manufacturer. Like that card, first week, playable. Stopped being playable. But Wizards keeps printing broken or very powerful treasure food and clue token decks. And the right moment happens where that card becomes playable. You know, there are someone figures out, oh, like that plus time sieve plus oven and cat goes infinite in turns. I'm doing that currently in commander, but that's all modern legal cards that are all relatively powerful on their own. So there's that's like true. time sieve is maybe on the cusp here. I would buy I've modern playable, maybe bought 10 time sieves. <laughs> I was like, it's like two dollars and <laughs> like very content old content creator buying yeah. 10 of a card and then promoting it on Yo, their time. Time sieve food dot deck is like really dope. <laughs> and I might uh, build it before going to Vegas. <laughs> that might be my like brew. I walk into the event with. Um, yeah, I mean, the other thing about like this whole budget conversation is we're discussing like how to budgetize um existing tier one decks but that totally discounts like the joy of brewing oh yeah well that's you the have step, a cool right? brew like what you need to do whether that brew includes expensive cards or not is you just need to figure out what is it what is essential to your brew what makes your brew tick and for alex's food time sieve deck perhaps that's you know as more cookbook or as a saga Lands. and time sieve and manufacture or whatever and Emory. that's essential yeah and a mana base that can allow you to cast all those cards perhaps as cheaply as possible if he's on a budget probably not because he owns a ton of modern cards but for example and uh <laughs> and then you know you don't need 
you know, Urza or whatever, right? Like maybe that deck would be interested in playing Urza, but it doesn't really seem essential to the deck's function, right? Like as long as you have those other pieces, you can you can get by. Maybe you just want to be blue black to make sure that you know it's your mana base is cheaper. You don't want to play other colors. You don't want to play red or whatever, right? Well, like, so, and like Emery does a lot of what Urza does. For like in that deck, Emery might be better than Urza because it puts your cats into your graveyard. It lets you recast your one drop spells. And Urza is just a weird four drop that's more expensive than what you need. So there's definitely a lot of different options or like play something like inspiring statuary. I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah, you there's just like have to cool figure stuff. Out, like what is essential to your deck and then go from there. And, and if, if something, if there's an expensive card that's essential to your deck, like Urza Saga, then you just have to decide whether you want to pursue a different deck or just buy the sagas because it's a good pickup. Right. And that's, that's like the tricky thing about something like, hammer time or whatever is like a lot of the expensive cards in that deck are like pretty bad outside of hammer time and so if that it like you have to really be committed to want to buy that deck it, it doesn't have a ton of like format all-stars in it uh, it's just such a good deck that it is increased the price of these cards by itself <laughs> right right and i think i think that's something to also look at when you're doing this playtesting thing is can i play this deck without the expensive cards are the expensive cards good investments? Am I am I buying into blue red prowess and then slowly I'll build up scalding tarns or buy them right now because they're probably cheaper than they will be for a while? Like that's my yeah, life. I mean, depends on when you got the funds. Sure, sure, exactly. But like, like that's my buy-in, right? Like the, this, what what is the first thing I'm going to buy? And now that I've bought it, how good is this overall? Now the one good thing is, other than maybe Ragavan and maybe the some of the elementals, I don't think there's a lot of cards that in the format look like they would be banned. And even if they were like make the deck much worse, like, like honestly, I've said this for a while. If I'm picking a card, the ban, it's Mishra Bobble, Mishra's Bobble, which is not the expensive cards out of those decks. Luros does not go away with Mishra's Bobble gone. It just makes it so like Dragon Rage Channeler isn't a bonkers card 90% of the time. It lowers the power level of some of these cards in a way that is probably good for the format, but doesn't kill any decks it's in. It just makes them a little less consistent. Yeah, I agree with that, but I think that like the I think the format's in like a pretty good place. Like there's a lot of deck diversity. I don't think we're at the point where something's going to get banned. If I had to pick something, I think I would pick Luris. Sure. Um, I feel like it does the most to like constrain what cards are playable in the format because it like drives down mana curves mm -hmm. of decks to like like Jund is now cutting out Liliana's and Bloodbraids and and a lot of classic Jun cards, season Pyromancers, Cole, you still play Cole against Commencer or something like that sometimes. But it's like it, it, it just drives down mana uh, mana costs so much because you want to be able to fit Luris because it's such a powerful value engine that starts out as an eighth card in your hand. Um, right. And I think right, Saga right. also drives down mana costs. And so like Luris and Saga are seeing play in a lot of the same decks because you don't want to play like four drops in your Urza Saga deck because like saga is a land that sacrifices itself and so it like makes it so that you want cheap cards that you can play with your sagas before they die um and you're not going to have as high of a land count in play so then like there's all these forces like driving mana costs down um and i think luris is a big culprit in particular yeah. um i agree with that but I also think that like you only need one Luris and it's cheap. So if well, you and I don't think any of the decks a, a Luris deck or work towards a Luris deck, you're fine. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think my, I have my one Luris. That's all I'm ever gonna need. If it gets banned, it's fine. And I don't think any of the decks that currently use Luris like go away if he's 
gone. Right. Like yeah. I, I, I think that, that's part of the reason why I think it's a good band. Too. Sure. 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 Like, I think, and I think like Vagabond's just new Karmaboy, because right? they ban Luris, right? It, <laughs> right. And I think, I think like, like when you look at Ragavan, the reason I think it's fine at the price, it's just new Tarmogoyf, right? Like Tarmogoyf was that price for a very long time and they reprinted it a lot, which is why, and it slowly got worse and worse, though it's still seeing a ton of play in the format, but now is a $20 card. Ragavan will be the same thing. Same as Force Negation. Both of these are cards that will be expensive. They're going to be expensive for the next while, but then like every chance that Wizards gets to do a modern reprint set or to do something focused in the area, those cards are going to be included because they're great draws to those sets. And I would be surprised if that's not a continuing kind of focus, knowing how expensive they are. I don't think well, they're I worth think being banned either. Tarmogoyf in that printing them makes people want to like get more of them. Yes. Like right now, uh, I don't have force indigations. I could never build teamer rhinos or whatever. And then suddenly I open a force indigation in a pack. I'm like, well, probably only need three so that's like two more force indications oh maybe right right like i can get away with playing two tarmogoyfs in this gen deck oh well and then now monument horizons two has come out maybe i'll open another one. Oh, it's the lowest yeah. it's ever been and i opened two cards that are together worth that tarmogoyf my friend has let me trade for it and like, like when modern horizons one came out i don't remember if this happened when two came out tarmogoyf went up because people were opening tarmogoyfs and they're like oh guess i'd better modern, get more tarmogoyfs uh modern masters well modern masters Modern Masters, sorry, yeah, yeah, not Modern yeah, Masters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that, yeah, there there was a there was a three set period. The first three times Tarmogoyf was printed, Tarmogoyf went up every time because it became like uh oh, I need more I need I every player that opened one needed three more. <laughs> Ragavan may run into that same situation. I think that kind of did happen with Force Negation. It's hard to tell because Modern Horizons 2 coming out at the same time that Modern came back is a hard thing to know which like Cart well, I think Modern first. came back because of Modern Horizons too. Yeah, yeah, but 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 like the same effect for like Tarmogoyf was needed yeah, yeah. in tournaments before Modern Masters one or two came out, and then was still needed after. So there's like there's not it's not like a different factor of is the it world. The popularity happened. of the format making Force Indication go up, or is it the reprint? Yeah, right, right. Or it, yeah, is 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 the is the fact that people can play Paper Magic again the reason this card is becoming more expensive, or is it because Force negation is making people want to play the decks that they now can play because they own one force negation that we don't know. But as far as budget goes, um, you know, there are options to kind of mitigate these cards that are expensive and look towards buying them as they reprint them is more the point. Wizards is in the business. The reason these cards exist is so wizards can make more packs that have them to sell those packs. And they are really incentivized to keep doing that. So over the next few years, there will be times to pick up. There will be times to pick up these staples. And in the meantime, building budget decks, looking at cards that will be you know going down. And then that kind of brings us back to the brew conversation. I mean, one thing I mean, before we get fully into even brews is looking at like for decks that were good of formats past. Affinity is a great example, but like looking at decks that have been good in the past and what could happen to make them better. Another good example is spirits, right? Like not only are we now two sets into spirits getting a ton of cards that are meant to make them a force in standard, like Crimson Vow is about to come out. That's another set where Morrow in his article about one of the articles he wrote about uh, Midnight Hunt said there is a really cool spirits mechanic we figured out for the next set that really makes spirits feel unique on top of Disturbed. Then we're going to Kamigawa 
who the first Kamigawa's plot was about how the spirits were fighting the humans. It was the main tribe of the set. And going back to Kamigawa would be very surprising if there wasn't some amount of tribal support for that tribe. We just left uh, Strixhaven, also had spirit tribal in, in red, white. Uh, you know, does New Capna have have spirit tribal? I don't know. I feel like Gothic City, New York, Noir having spirits and ghosts in it wouldn't be very surprising. Uh, and then well, and a lot of times what they do is they'll have like a big theme that's like kind of supported. And then like a few sets later, they'll like give you the big one, like uh, right. like Marauding Raptor after at like in the core set after Ixalan, where it's like, here's a bunch of dinosaurs. They don't really get there. Here's a crazy powerful dinosaur card right before <laughs> rotation Rotate. or yeah, whatever. Just in case it's too good. Well, like and like. There are spirits in the story of Lord of the Rings. We're going to go to that set next year. Dominaria classically has spirit stuff in that set. So there's like, like that's a deck that has multiple opportunities in the next year to get good cards printed into it. There are other decks that are like that. Artifacts uh, in general are going to be being printed in a lot of these places. We're about to go back to Kamigawa in a world where it's about cyberpunk and hacking. It would be weird if the cyberpunk set doesn't have some amount of artifacts that are good in it, and you can kind of continue that process and looking at what decks were bad that could get new fuel, knowing what you know of just what's happening in the future. I mean, artifact decks in general, like Wizards is setting up a return to New Phyrexia at some point. We have gone into Praetor. We are getting Elsbeth is back well, from the dead. And the Dominaria sets like um, are are about or at least Brothers War is about the conflict between Urza and Misha. I don't know about the other one, but like that was, they are two artificers who are fighting. Right. That's, that's the story. They both have baubles that cost zero, <laughs> uh, but they also both have a lot of other artifacts that they, that they do stuff with. So I guess, I guess the chance that Misha's bobble is reprinted into Urza, into the Brothers War <laughs> means that Luros being banned is more likely. <laughs> Just, uh, I don't know if <laughs> any of that the, is a sentence. That's the place to reprint Mishra's bubble. I am excited for the new the Crimson Vow food analogous token that's coming out. We'll find out what that's going to be um, in the world of that. But that's another one, right? Like artifact cards are also better now because there's now tons of artifact tokens. So like stuff like Emery being zero, one mana or Urza or whatever gets better and better every day because they keep Pop printing. Monitor. Moderner, thought monitor, thought monitor, thought copter. Thank you, thank you. Thought copter gets better every day, uh, because they just like randomly print good cards that come along with an artifact or two, and like thought copter could be a card that just sees play in a regular deck, and just you just happen to make enough food tokens to make it work. Um, so I think, yeah, I mean, I, I, the Hell's Kitchen decks that I was strongly considering building when Modern Horizons first came out, but I didn't own Urza's, and luckily I didn't buy them because it turned out those decks weren't that good. They were playing thought copters with very few artifacts actually in the deck. They were like playing like, I don't know, eight or whatever, just basically in Urza's saga package with right. cookbooks. But then you're making a quantity of food where you're playing thought copters for one on turn three, you know, you know right, whatever. Right. So <laughs> like like an Urza makes a, an artifact token when it comes into play, like there's enough. Yeah. There's enough there. And that token, I would imagine we're going to get some some constructs <laughs> next year as well um but yeah so i think i think there's like a way to look at the future and get an idea on like what's coming out what decks could benefit from them what cards are currently pretty undervalued i mean spirits there's a pioneer spirits deck you could just buy that for 40 dollars, get a lot of the cards already and then finish your play sets off of that spell quellers is only two dollars right now 
And the mana base for that is not that expensive and kind of build up to it. Also looking at like cards for Modern Horizons 2 that were inexpensive or like hyped that aren't there yet, right? Like I think I think actually a great one is Ignoble Hierarch where it's like that is a card that people thought would could like Noble Hierarch was a $60 card for a very long time. Ignoble Hierarch is like under $20 right now. Buying a place out of those is never going to treat you badly. You're going to be happy to have that card forever. Noble Hierarch right now is also probably not a bad buy, right? Like these are cards that have classically been good right now. They're not maybe greatly positioned, but that's not because they're bad. It's just because the deck that exists for them isn't right. And Ignoble Hierarch is seeing a ton of play. It's just a rare from a set where the mythics are all $50 a pop. So it's worth it opening packs instead of just and then like that that floods the market i mean it's also not seeing like a ton a ton of play i feel i guess well i guess like what yogmoth combo goblins jund uh is jund playing it mm-hmm. i guess that makes sense uh <laughs> there's another deck i know oh the jund sack decks are playing yeah it. yeah the jund sack decks. all right it's getting it's getting played a good amount but that's, uh, the, the number of decks i've named with that card in it simultaneously is probably more than noble hierarch has almost ever had so right 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 and like stuff like you know grief is the less least expensive version of the different elementals um and and, and i know that um reanimator with grief just won the modern challenge mm-hmm, last mm-hmm. weekend aspiring spike with uh esper reanimator with grief's and persist and unmarked graves are both like for a playset under twelve dollars. Like there's cards that are in really powerful decks that will continue to get better as new stuff gets printed, right? Like going into Innistrad coming out, you could have been like, "Oh, what's the best reanimator cards for Modern Horizons?" They're all inexpensive. We're going to two graveyard sets in a row. I should probably like those are maybe cards to think it's about. True. Picking up. I bet I bet if you look at like the price history, a lot of the reanimator cards went up after Faithful Mending got printed because mm-hmm. I feel like that was something the deck was really missing. It was like, what if you draw an Archon? The deck had no answer to that before. It was like, I need to unmark grave this and it's a dead card otherwise. But now that you have Faithful Mending, you have like a very powerful way to discard it. And mm-hmm. even late in the game where you have Faithful Mending sitting in your graveyard for 10 turns, you're like, oh, yeah, right. I just drew one. Great. And it's another mana base where like. You could get away with not playing Flooded Strand and not playing Polluted Delta and just play like Marsh Flats and off color fetches that get you the ones you need. And the mana base becomes a lot less expensive. You still have the problem of Solitude being a $300 card, which is insane. Yeah, but. I mean, it's tricky because, like, with the three-color mana bases, especially if you, like, having the ability to play around Blood Moon or whatever, I do think, like, three-color budget decks become a lot trickier. But, this is but still maybe why I with, think Blood like, Moon should be banned, but that's just... Some me. fetches. <laughs> I mean, whatever. <laughs> Blood Moon kills Urza's Saga. It's the good guy now. Mm, I don't. I think Urza's Saga is the good guy. <laughs> Urza's Saga is the good guy. I'm on board with Urza's Saga. Time. <laughs> like, like, like. As for me, the good guy is decks that people can afford to make the metagame as wide as possible, and and sure. and that is doing that I, versus. I think Urza's Saga is very cool. Yeah, I I think it's in some bad guy decks, but I I don't know that I think the card is definitively a bad guy. So so the, the last section I wanted to talk about is just pointing out some decks that are like in the sub hundred dollar category though these are all if you go to the mtg goldfish modern metagame section there's a budget section that like saffron olive uh curates and there's some really great lists here um my favorite probably is the budget enchantress and this is another one that to me jumps out as a 
deck that you can buy for less than $90, but then you're buying into cards that over time will get better and better. Stuff like Scythus, Sanctum Weaver, and Destiny, uh, Scythus and Sanctum Weaver specifically are cards that if Enchantress becomes a powerful deck, these jump up to being $20 cards. Now you can buy a full playset for $9. And this deck is powerful. It runs a bunch of different hate cards. It does a really, really powerful thing in the format, plays a bunch of really good cards. And like, yes, it's to your point earlier, this is a specific deck, right? You're playing a specific game plan. Uh, but it isn't a bad game plan. You're playing things that are powerful. I I um I wanted to build Legacy Enchantress for a long time. I thought it was just a really cool deck. Um, and even though like you know you're buying expensive cards that aren't staples or whatever, um, I thought it was worth it because the gameplay was that cool. So I do know there are a lot of Enchantress fans out there. Perhaps you play Enchantress and Commander or whatever, or you know um, like. Yes, you know, I don't know. I I feel like Enchantress has a lot of people rooting for it, even if like you're not picking up staples. I think Enchantress is good when uh, Solitary Confinement is good. Mm -hmm. I think that the big draw to playing Enchantress is Solitary Confinement, which is a very cheap card um, because it just got reprinted and it's not really getting played anywhere. Um, But yeah, like you know, if if you're playing against a bunch of blue red Merktide or whatever at your LGS and you just can slam a solitary confinement on them. <laughs> they're going to have a bad time. I think also formats were like, cause this is a deck that can jam four copies of rest in peace. Yeah. And not and be sad about it. The red Merc tide too. <laughs> yeah. And like, that's a card that murders people <laughs> by yeah. itself. And yeah. the fact that you're playing main deck versions is like really good. And well, yeah. And you have like Sterling Grove to tutor for it. Free and post board. And, yeah, like you're just going to get a lot of free wins off of like turning off your opponent's Dragon Ridge Channeler or turning off their Yawgmoth Sacrifice combo mm-hmm. or whatever. And so like, I think that's that's like a great thing to point at. And and Tony Silence, you can tutor for against, um, you know, Hammer Time or Affinity or whatever. Or food decks or whatever. That's another one is Affinity. I mean, that 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 also is on this list as a deck that uh, it's currently labeled here as real Affinity. Um, but I think that's. Oh no, sorry, that's Mono Red Hollow One. Where'd Real Affinity go? Or did I just copy two copies of Mono Red Hollow One? I did. We talked about Affinity earlier, where we went over Affinity is cheap enough. You can make Affinity even more budget than the previous deck by not playing Urza Saga. Right. My guess is that that deck was not playing Urza Saga. If you wanted to start out with Affinity, just not playing Urza Saga and not playing Shadow Spear, since Shadow Spear is literally only in the deck to grab with Urza Saga. Mm-hmm. Um that's a very cheap deck. Yeah, I, I'm yeah, guessing yeah. that's what this budget affinity we were trying to bring up was. Um, and then you, the first thing you get for the deck for sure is Saga because I, I mean, it's an amazing card and it's a, it's a good everywhere. staple to pick up. I think, yeah. Uh, I don't think it. Yeah, I don't think it's going away. I mean, Mono Red Hollow One was the other one that I have here that I like really love. Like this is a deck that I would love playing, and it's playing for Asmore, which is, I think is a really good pickup because of what we talked about. It's playing the Cookbook, Blazing Rootwalla, Flame Blade Adept, Insolent Neonite. Uh, Flame Wake Phoenix, Hollow One, Ox of Agnos, Street Wraith. Ox of Agnos is another good pickup just because it's a mythic from a set that has powerful cards in it. But over time, it's already seen playing at least one top tier deck like Dredge. And it's it's like the the first of the pandemic sets where like, you know, who knows how many are actually out there floating around and available. Just in case there was any. Uh, any dispute, I am a. <laughs> 
a cookbook believer. Oh yeah, I, I have my four foils. You are more able to grab them than mine. I have etched foils somewhere, uh, and I lo- old border. I like went all in, and I got them yeah, for yeah. like not a I don't a like the the old border stuff as much. I I prefer for my modern decks to all be all modern frames. Fair, but. fair. Um, what a, what a, just not 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 into the old timey things. He's a young soul. <laughs> I like the old timey things, but I want all my cards to look the same. And in modern, that's attainable with new borders. That's it's fair. generally not attainable with old borders. There are decks that are getting there, but we're not there yet. And so I'm going to stick to my new borders. That's and fair. I do that in commander too, actually, because I find uh, the majority of my commander decks are new border as well, mm-hmm. mainly because the majority of magic cards are new border to be fair. But well, um, this, this is also a deck. They, there's like tons of staples that, that have been explicitly printed for commander on purpose uh, oh, sure. in new border and not an old border. And this is a deck for $67. You have the whole deck and, and it's upgradable. You can get over time, green red lands to eventually start playing with Vengevines that then trigger even better off of your root wallas. Yeah. And, like, and it allows you to pivot into dredge. Cause you're like picking up oxen and street wraiths and stuff. Right. So it's, well, Street Wraith, I guess, isn't a dredge card, but it's like a living end card. Yeah, so you're 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 picking up cards that are good in other decks and for nothing. Like I almost just bought this deck as we were talking because I was like, oh, it's only sixty seven dollars. I could just have this. <laughs> well, then you up. probably own you own probably own some amount of this deck too. Yeah, but then I don't have to find the cards. <laughs> <laughs> sixty seven dollars convenience fee. It's like it's close. Well, I don't own all of the cards, right? Or I at least don't own all yeah, of them yeah, in one no. spot. And like, it's <laughs> pretty close. Yeah. Um, I don't know how many blazing root wallas you own like finding my four copies of burning inquiry is going to take more than 15 dollars <laughs> like more than That's an hour cards in the deck i know <laughs> um so yeah so i think i think like just like looking at this look looking at fun lists like that's really dope um and you can find decks that are playable i like i i think that there's like this conversation on like only the good decks are the ones that are a like five owing every tournament or winning all of these formats but if you look at mtg goldfish and our TCG player and or, you know, any of these tournament reporting sites, there's a ton of content that isn't that expensive, that isn't putting you over the edge. And like a lot of them are great starting point investments to build into better decks. Like I, I would take this hollow one deck is even cheap to the point where like, this could be something fun that like, you don't need to worry about picking up staples or building this into anything. You can just play this as a fun meme at your F and M because it was only $67 and you can, (laughs) you can work on your collection elsewhere. Yeah. Um, I would just, I'm nervous. I'm more nervous about building like decks with a bunch of expensive cards that are, that don't translate, you know, but, but if you're spending $67 uh, for a magic deck in modern, I think this can be like a fun, you know, you take this to your F and M and you aggro out some some people who spend a thousand bucks on their deck and you feel really great. Right. And you don't have to worry about getting staples. <laughs> and like budgets enchantress isn't far off, right? Like ninety dollars, less than a hundred dollars. Yeah. You can pick this up really, really, really quickly. Even the expensive cards that are above that, like you may be even able to get around not having and enchantress is a deck with legs, right? There's a, an expensive version of this that is playing a more expensive mana base. It gets away with it because it's able to get a, a you know, play Nyx we- uh, Sanctum Weaver, which lets their mana base be a lot more easily a- on top of abundant growth. But well, and the more expensive version is usually playing Blood Moon too, right? Is it? I don't know that if that's yeah. I mean, you can do that. You can go in the Naya. I mean, I think you can just like 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 the thing here is like they're playing. But it was pretty stock to be playing uh, Blood Moon and Enchantress, but maybe that's like 
you know, two week old tech. The, the metagame sure. evolves pretty fast nowadays, and I haven't seen Enchantress in a while. When I'm watching streams, I think it's somewhat fallen out of favor, but I think they're typically playing Blood Moon. Yeah. Looks like it's primarily Naya's. Uh, Is the new, the Blood Moon version? Sure. But like, that's a deck you well, can build into. You don't need to start the there. best enchantment in modern. So, fair. fair. <laughs> <laughs> it makes sense to put it in your enchantment deck and you get to laugh at all of these uh people that are playing these very expensive mana bases <laughs> and be like ah. yeah well and also it also it like totally hoses urza saga yep that's true okay i see it yeah it's playing oh it's literally that's the only red card is is three blood moon oh yeah, oh and then flame blitz and sometimes sideboard stuff yep but, yep yep yeah. but otherwise the list difference between these two decks is almost nothing I think on yeah. thin ice is the only other card here that's like, and that's yeah, only most, because you can't play cards, most of the essential cards, right? I mean, that's what makes a good budget deck, right? Is if you look at the Enchantress deck and you look at like what is essential to this deck, it's like Destiny Spinners and Synthesis and Sanctum mm-hmm. Weavers and a bunch of cheap enchantments, Enchantress's Presence, Solitary Confinement. That stuff is all like dirt cheap. That's what's essential. And then you take out the expensive non essential pieces like Blood Moons and Greater Aramancy. Because you're already playing four Sterling Grove, what do you need a seventy dollar Greater Aramancy for? Right, and <laughs> and you like you know maybe you trim the Force of Vigors from the sideboard and play Nature's Claim or something instead, and then suddenly you have a budget deck. Yeah, and like like and you can build to get to this point where like you buy first you buy four Temple Garden, then you pick up the Wooded Foothills or Windswept Heaths when you can get a chance, or Verdant Catacombs, and slowly build your mana base. And then you buy one stomping ground and now you have the Naya mana base to be able to play Blood Moon. Yeah. <laughs> and then you pick up Blood Moon, right? Like that's 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 the way to slowly do it for me. Blood Moon and those lands and the Blood Moon are good staples. So you're spending like 100 bucks on like relatively linear useless cards, right? Like all these enchantment cards that only go in this specific deck. But all the upgrades that you're getting, all the expensive cards you're investing in, those are all the ones that are useful. Yeah. <laughs> that's why they're expensive most of the time. And, and and kind of for the record, that's why I lean towards these types of decks over top tier burn and top team tier Tron, unless you love those decks. If you play yeah, Tron same. and you're like, yes, I'm here. I want to make seven mana on turn three every time and get them with the Karn. Like, great. Go for it. <laughs> Start building that deck, do the budget version and then build up to it. But Tron is a very specific decks play style. Burn is a very specific deck playstyle. Yeah, those cards and those Ulamogs and Ugins and stuff are not going to be useful to you if you decide to play anything other than right, Tron. Right. And versus most colored mana decks, those all you have to get the lands eventually, right? That that's one of the great investments that you're building to. But the two color ones can be played without those. You don't need fetch lands to play green white. You don't need fetch lands to play blue red. Makes decks better or more consistent or make specific cards better, but you also don't need to play with those cards. You can play with other cards as you build those. So like there's this myth that you can't do this in this format and like just going through deck lists and looking what they're playing, you can pretty easily break down. Like, no, that's not true. And there's some decks that you can't like Jund is just like, I mean, to be honest, the way I got into Jund is I like got fetch lands for other decks. I was playing, Grixis or blue white and I was able to build my mana base and then I was able to get like I had Liliana of the Veil already because I had it in standard but like those cards rotated in there I was able to get Tarmogoyfs over six different master sets of opening one at a time uh you know and like I 
I can never play Jund because I have chosen blue as my modern color, and I have play sets of all of the blue fetches and all of the blue shocklands, and I have zero verdant catacombs, and I have like one bloodstained mire. I actually used to have four bloodstained mires, but I sold them um, as part of a deal where I got a candelabra, so it was worth it. But um, <laughs> you know, I don't, <laughs> I don't have like the the Jund lands, so I'm kind of stuck playing blue, which honestly I have no problem with. But that was just kind of the the angle that I took into the format was uh, in blue decks. Yeah. That Missy's Scalding Tarns, and then when Cons of Tarkir was out, I made sure that I picked up those Deltas and Flooded Strands when they were 10 bucks each. But Here just like having having the blue-white mana base or the Jeskai mana base has treated me very well for a very long time. Having Well, it's nice because like if you have a deck and you have like extra adjacent lands, like I have all the blue fetches, so like... um the Merktide decks are sometimes splashing white for prismatic uh, ending and sideboard cards now because like this prismatic ending shores up some of their bad matchups. Um, and so I just have Blood Strands and Hallowed Fountains mm-hmm. so I can just do that and it's easy. Yeah. It costs me nothing basically. I just And I own prismatic endings because I thought it was an amazing staple that I should own four of if I want to play modern. <laughs> Which like heads up to the world by prismatic endings. It's only $5. <laughs> Like, like this card is seeing more play than Pact Exile has ever seen in the format ever. And maybe it's comparable to what Lightning Bolt was at its peak. Yeah. Pact Exile has been like a $10 modern staple since the format existed. And it wasn't uncommon. It wasn't same un- as Prismatic ending. Yep. So and was, but it was also in a standard. Well, actually, I wonder what I wonder what has been printed more. Well, and Modern Horizons might have been printed more than than Conflux. Conflux, like Conflux, was not very highly printed now, and there's more value in <laughs> Modern Horizons too than Conflux. It's competing for packs were more expensive. That's and hard. Packs like, are more expensive for Modern Horizons too, but it is an unlimited print run set. Correct, but it also was brought to market in a moment where drafting in person was probably at not an all-time low because four months earlier was an all-time low but like not a peak Uh, drafting moment my money's on modern horizons on on it was printed more Mm -hmm. i think i agree though i don't i don't disagree with you but you know magic is so much bigger than 2009 way more demand for prismatic ending than there was for path exile well and path has also been reprinted well but on the other hand path has been reprinted so many more times since then and is still a ten dollar staple it's not like path exile hasn't had like 12 printings plus like promos that every single person that went to an event for a year got one like path is out there yeah this and and then we'll get there i mean i think that it was printed to be a staple removal spell that they will print a bunch of times and they expect everybody to play forever same as path right right right. but it it is a harder one promo gp promo prismatic ending in 2024 or whatever yeah yeah yeah. it is a hard it's a good card to have not that path has been printed in the standard which is really the only place that this sentence matters but conflicts does have the issue of it being like a very specific mechanic like that is never coming back into standard. Path also has not come back into standard and has been f- fine. So that that that's very valid. But that's oh, the comp- converge com- converge isn't coming to standard. Yeah, Correct. probably not. So probably like, not. but but on that note, path hasn't also. But on that note, that's why path is a ten dollar card, and lightning bolt, for instance, is not a ten dollar card, and that's why you should just be buying this card. Yeah, I do need to pick up some of the white sideboard cards though. 
I don't I don't have a robust white sideboard collection. You need to pick up that white sideboard. I have the card. lands and I have the prismatic endings, so I can I can find the white sideboard cards. They're not super expensive. Also, Sarah's emissary is another dope card that being only five dollars as a mythic seems like that's not gonna last very long. It's the reanimator target. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's just rough being the second best reanimator target. Yeah. And the second the second best uh uh, red indomitable creativity. If target. I have a Sarah's emissary in play and I choose creatures as the thing, I just I mm-hmm. like need. I've been playing this on arena and I haven't been attacked with Sarah's emissary in play because I normally win the turn after it. I untap with it, but if I choose creatures and they attack me, I don't take damage. Correct. If I have protection from creatures, creatures can't do damage to me. Correct. You cannot. The things that cannot happen to you are debt. You cannot be damaged, enchanted, blocked, or targeted by sources you have protection from cool okay i mean you can't be enchanted well i guess cursed you, you wouldn't be able to be cursed if you had protection from enchantments yeah yeah <laughs> you wouldn't be able to be cursed okay a curse couldn't become attached to you by odd means that didn't involve targeting sure for example sure 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 I yeah i think sarah's emissary is dope uh all right so so that's kind of it for the episode i do want to bring up uh if you want any of these deck lists there below um we have all kind of the list notes in the show notes uh also big thank you to our patrons that's what makes this content happen this show got released a week entirely early uh so if you go check that out um i got a week a thursday thursday to monday uh and you get a whole bonus 20 minutes of of content every episode at the very beginning of the episode so you can go check that out it's available to all patrons um and it's it's how this podcast happens um make sure to hit that subscribe button if this is your first time listening uh we do a monday night commander stream we're actually doing a whole new thing uh centered around um artisan commander where we're making a budget uh artisan commander where we're playing decks that are exclusively uncommons and or commons including the commander uh so there's a whole new discord for that it was really fun like even but you know taking budget out of the equation because i do think it's easy to make a real commander deck that's affordable um it was just really fun to like have fewer sweepers and everybody was just kind of doing their thing. There was no cyclonic rift or whatever busted dockside extortionist. It was just like good, clean, old school magic where, you know, I'm at 128 life uh, with like 60 sapperlings or something. And I get killed by rogues passage commander damage or whatever. Right. right. Like it, it was classic, classic commander. So, and that, and that game, if you missed it, will be on the Kess games, YouTube channel. Uh, and also, if you want to like take your list, if you have ideas and you need to ask questions or want to get uh, get a hold of people, especially us in the community, if you go to the MMCast Discord link is also below. You can uh, there's a whole place to kind of talk about, hey, I have this deck idea. What could be made to be better? What can be done to make it cheaper? What things do we think are unnecessary? There's a whole conversation about dredge. We had that conversation there in the Discord. It was really great. Um, so I definitely recommend checking that out. Uh, the communicate the conversation is happening there after the episode. Uh, and last but not least, we made a game. It's called Battle Bosses. Uh, there it oh, is. it's actually the two of us. Yeah, we, we can't we, say uh, literally we <laughs> can say it when Ben's hosting. Yeah, uh, it's called. Ben helped. He play tested a little bit. Yeah, but yeah, but it's called Battle Bosses. Uh, it's this game. It if you're at SCG or if you're at SCG Con this last weekend, you could have played it. But uh, if you're at um, uh, Vegas, I want to keep calling it Magic Fest Vegas. I got I was so against Magic Fest after GP, but now I can't get past it. So Magic MGG the Gathering Vegas. Vegas. Uh, we will be there. I will have battle bosses with me. Um, and also, if you want to go on our website, battlebosses.com, we just redid the website. So it's brand new. You can check stuff out there, including what's going on with battle bosses and, and boss breakdowns and videos of each of the characters and what they do. You get this really cool action figure. You get the whole playthrough thing. 
uh, and there's more content coming out uh, regularly for us. So definitely check out that as well. Um, yeah, that's 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 the that's the episode. Thank you so much for listening, Michael. Any any anything you want to point people at? Nope. Do all the stuff Alex said. Yeah. Like subscribe and such. Oh, I think uh, continue this Taco Bell thing that the professor started. <laughs> Tag Taco Bell and us and say we sent you. All right. Thanks everyone. We'll talk to you. We'll talk to you next week. This has been a production of Time Traveler Media.